Welcome to the Gay Podcast for Everyone, a podcast where my LGBTQ plus community and our allies can come together in conversation and keep building stronger ones together. Whether you're in the LGBTQ plus fam or you're an ally, welcome. This is the Gay Podcast for Everyone. But then you add the interdimensional, intersectional layer of being queer in today's society, and you have so many other things, so many other factors that don't impact, you know, the cis or hetero population. It's just different. It's it's multiple different layers. It can be, you know, those little insidious minority stress microaggressions can be bigger things, bigger events that all of the news and publicity that's happening right now, all of legal protections that are being dismantled right now, all of that impacts us in a traumatic way. It tells us we're not safe. Welcome to the Gay Podcast for Everyone. I'm Angela Briones, and joining me for this episode is Dr. Jen Towns. She's a professor, a therapist, and now a published author. Her book is Our Deepest Roots, Navigating Past Trauma to Build Healthier Queer Relationships. And it focuses on how past trauma specific to the queer community impacts our relationships and connections. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how differing levels of safety and comfort that we experience on a daily basis being in the LGBTQ plus community impacts our relationships and how we can build deeper connections and have better conversations. There's a link to the book in the episode description, and I hope you'll grab a copy. This is Dr. Jen Towns. Jen Towns, welcome to the podcast. I already introduced you in the beginning. You just don't know it yet because I haven't recorded that. (laughs) But how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining me. Um, So we were talking earlier, we both just kind of got back from a restful weekend, which is nice. And you've probably needed to rest from your book stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Has it been a lot? It has been a lot. I always thought that the writing portion would be the hardest part, Mm -hmm. but the promotion stuff is really the hardest part because it's just so outside of my wheelhouse. You know, I'm a professor, I'm a therapist, and now I'm a published author, but the, like, public relations is not my jam. It's not my wheelhouse at all. So that's really been the biggest learning curve for me. Wow. Let me talk about your book. Your book is called Our Deepest Roots, Navigating Past Trauma to build healthier queer relationships. Yes. I'm curious about the title though, navigating queer relationships. And then the Mm -hmm. word trauma. I mean, when you see these two words, like Mm -hmm. I think instantaneously you can think like if you're in the straight community, you might think, Oh, this doesn't apply to me. Mm -hmm. Or how does it apply to my gay friends? If you know, if you're an Mm -hmm. ally, for example, one of my Mm -hmm. favorite podcasts is queer money. And I don't know if you've heard of that podcast, Mm -hmm. but When I was telling my partner about it, I was like, oh, I love this podcast, Queer Money. And she's like, why is it called Queer Money? Like, how is our money different than Mm -hmm. straight community? Mm -hmm. And initially, I didn't know how to ask how to respond to that. Right. But then I learned like there are differences because there there are experiences that we have that our straight community just doesn't experience, such as internalized homophobia. Is that kind of how like is that the main way trauma affects queer relationships or what are the main ways, I guess? Yeah, for sure. that's a great question. I mean, related to the book specifically, you know, as a, as a resource, it recognizes a lot of like how past experience of interpersonal trauma, whether it be related to sexuality or not, can impact how we interact with the world. It can impact how we interact in relationship with other people. 
But then you add the interdimensional, intersectional layer of being queer in today's society, and you have so many other things, so many other factors that don't impact, you know, the cis or hetero population. It's just different. It's it's multiple different layers. It can be, you know, those little insidious minority stress microaggressions can be bigger things, bigger events that all of the news and publicity that's happening right now, all of legal protections that are being dismantled right now, all of that impacts us in a traumatic way. It tells us we're not safe. You know, it's we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about like anything, even like our, you know, our marriage to one another or our our ability to get gender affirming care, uh, things like that, that we we would hope would be just an, you know, an assumed thing, but it's not <laughs> necessarily. Things that are, are heterosexual or our, cis, our cisgender friends don't have to deal with. They don't have to, to deal with the, the trauma of not knowing whether they can access those things. And that messes with our sense of safety. And that anything that messes with that sense of safety can be traumatic. So how, like, how did you come to this? Like, I know you're a therapist and, mm-hmm. you know, and learning about you, specifically through Instagram, through a lot of your videos that you've done, Mm -hmm. you talk about like when you grew up, kind of similar to me, like we have kind of a similar uh, story in the sense that like, you didn't realize you were gay. Mm -hmm. Then when you do realize that you're gay, you know, you said something about like your community, you were finding community within a community at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you moved from the place Mm -hmm. you grew up, right? Yeah. Like, as you find your partner and have kids, et cetera, like, is this something that you find that like this topic became more important to you or was it always super important as you discovered you were coming out of the closet? Great question. And, and a complex question. A complex I know. Question. I kind of realized how like, we're both like, we're both coming off this vacation thing. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> right. did that even make sense? It's kind of it a did. lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> let me, let me paraphrase my understanding of the question. Okay. Like let's, um, let's unpack my own question. I'm so um, sorry. No, it's, it's great. Um, so yes. And yes. And yes. And so the answer to your question, yeah. the idea for, focusing and my interest on trauma specific to the queer population came about in two different ways came about through my work as um, a therapist a trauma therapist and recognizing just the different ways that universally kind of across the how it affects us how it affects our bodies how it affects our minds how it affects our relationships and so that has always been an interest of mine as digging deeper into the the trauma impact but then how the queer experience of trauma and the traumatic experiences that being queer can, you know, cause just because of our society, um, that became more apparent as, yes, through my coming out process, my parents were very supportive, but I lived in a very small rural red community and I moved up to um, even smaller, more rural, more red community. And that's where I met my wife. And her family uh, is very split as far as being very supportive, other individuals very not supportive. And seeing how that was impacting her. See, from my perspective, my parents were very supportive. My family was supportive. My community were hit or miss. Um, Her family was so polarized related to the support and seeing the impact it had on her and the impact that it had on you know, whether or not she felt safe or comfortable holding my hand, whether or not we, we felt safe together in the community that we were up there, sitting close to each other. 
the assumption that I was a sister or I was a friend whenever we went uh, like to the doctor's office together or to anywhere together. All of that like unpacked itself into this like traumatic experience of, of these heteronormative culture of these um, kind of that internalized homophobia, you know, that we, that fear based um, that we can't be ourselves uh, because that could cause danger or stress or, you know, all of that. So that was kind of the other part to the answer to your question of like the interest of queer based trauma came about in specific too. Yeah. Come that coming out process for both um, myself and my wife and, and how we experienced that together. And, and then leading into, you know, are the community that we lived in at that point in time and being just scared to be in that community, um, being scared to be out in that community. You know, there were times where she was encouraged not to tell people that she was part of the LGBTQ community because mm. she may lose her job because there's no right. legal protections for employment. You know, there were times where, you know, we would have to we have to out ourselves every day going to the doctor's office. Like I said, you know, if you check married on your form, your intake form, and someone comes in to take your blood pressure and says, Oh, I see you're married. What's your husband do? You have to like decide in that hot second yes. if you're going to out yourself or not. Yeah. If it's safe to out yourself or not, or do you lie, you know, and do you lie and do you shove yourself back in the closet and, you know, and use, you know, say my husband does this or say my partner does this and hope they don't ask any more questions, you know, because you just fear, fear that reaction. Yeah. And you know, that's so true because I was thinking like, I come across that every day. And I, this is like so refreshing to have this conversation with you because I don't talk to a lot of people who, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I jokingly, a, a couple of podcasts ago, uh, had a guest, we were joking about the fact that we didn't have a lot of like, gay friends, mm-hmm. you know, like our, our, community of friends happened to be people who just weren't gay, mm-hmm. oddly enough. And so a lot of times I do feel a little, I don't know, isolated, because my experiences are different than theirs. Mm-hmm. So everything you just explained, like, you know, having to come out to these random people that you meet yeah. here or there, you know, I, I've lived in this new city for about a year. And anytime we meet new people, it's always, you know, I always have to think like, how long am I going to spend with this person? Like, are mm-hmm. they just coming to fix something in my house, you know, to where <laughs> if they ask, you know, what is, you know, something about my husband, I, I'm i like, do I even care to have this conversation? You're going right. to be here for about an hour, got to go, you know, whatever. Right. But what's interesting is how you a- answer that question or how I I answer that question versus how my partner answers that question, I should say. And then how your partner answers this question, like in each of our relationships, the word impact that you said earlier, like, if I choose to answer it a certain way, it might, like trigger something in my partner, mm-hmm. that, based on her experiences, or vice versa, mm-hmm. to where like, I guess what I'm saying is we don't realize how like the small little things that we think are nothing, like we think mm-hmm. answering a question or not answering a question of like, what does your husband do or whatever, if mm-hmm. you know, maybe you, you don't you choose not to answer it. And you go back inside and you tell your partner, you know, oh, I didn't say right. anything, you know, you don't realize how that impacts that person. Like they might be like, are you ashamed of me or whatever? Or right. we're on the same page of like, yeah, we, you know, we don't care about those things yeah. because um, we're in a similar kind of community as you where it's a smaller city. Mm-hmm. Um, she really can't be out 
because of her work situation as well, you know, mm. same, same dynamic. But I guess what I'm saying is like, we don't realize the impact of those things, how we bring them into our relationship dynamic. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. You know, if, if in a situation where, you know, we, we ended up moving away from that situation, we're in a more diverse city area, mm-hmm. you know, now, which is wonderful. That's but great. That still impacts us. You know, it's still, there's still times where we're afraid to, you know, hold hands in the movie theater. Sure. You know, and when I was 16 and it hadn't come out yet, cause I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind as a possibility at that point, because I lived in such a small area and small community. And I was holding hands with my, my high school boyfriend in the, yeah. <laughs> in the movie theater. Right. You know, but I can't hold hands with my wife in the theater because I'm nervous. You know, I can feel it in my body. I can feel that fear. And, and even though 100% we're in the same, yeah, mm-hmm. we're in a much more diverse and accepting area down here. Where you know, I say down because like in Michigan, we're like down here in the <laughs> metro area. Um, but it's still that stored up anxiety based on the experiences that we had previously, based on you know, and, and also based on the current you know messaging that we are getting a lot yeah. of now. But that past stuff, the stuff from our past that was so impactful to our safety, is still stored up there and you know it's still stored in our body and our brain and so when we you know sit in a movie theater if i was at home maybe we would be snuggling we'd be holding you know whatever sure. but we have to just check ourselves all the time um and that hyper vigilance that's involved you know is a trauma response and if we were back up north again we're back up here <laughs> Your, your podcasters can't see where I'm pointing at <laughs> right, my Michigan right. hand. Um, Northern Michigan, you know, it was a situation where, like we said, you know, my wife was encouraged not to come out. But does that mean that I can't necessarily come out? Because if I come out by association, you know, yes. she's outed. And so that kind of forces me back into a closeted situation as well, which can be you know, it's so confusing to individuals who have worked really hard to to try to come out and be comfortable and confident in their identity. So here's what's interesting. And maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. But same thing as you, like my, my parents were very supportive. I guess for me, I didn't realize and maybe I still am kind of like opening up to the idea or realization, I should say, that even though like it's a, it was a supportive coming out process, I still had things in my Mm -hmm. life and or around me that were like these shame-based messages. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think like if somebody would be like, you know, have you experienced any trauma in your life, any traumatic experiences? I would honestly have said no. And Mm -hmm. like now I realize that even those like little nuanced things that seem you know, they seem so, I don't know, they just don't seem very overt, I guess I would say. There's still, mm-hmm. there's still trauma, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Because we absolutely. carry that to, in the future, I guess, or into our future oh, sure. relationships, etc. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. If there's any, you know, any real instance where you have had to be hypervigilant, you know, about your sexuality, because you were afraid of someone's reaction or response that you, that fear is based off lived experience. You know, you're, you're always getting more information about the world around you. And, and so at some point in time, you got a negative message mm-hmm. about, of safety of, you know, and so you've developed a fear because of that. Fears don't just come out of nowhere. And so those instances that create that fear are traumatic 
because then you carry that fear with you. And there are times that they are afraid to be authentically yourself because you experience that dramatic event. And then there are very real things that are happening around us. Like you mentioned holding hands in a movie theater. I mean, definitely we don't do that either, which, you know, it's sad, but I think, I don't know Mm -hmm. who's around me. I don't know how they're going to react. I mean, this is so sad to say, like, there are just things on the news that are terrifying. And I I hate that. I hate feeling like I can't hold my partner's hand. Mm -hmm. I can't say certain things just because I want to feel safe. And uh, that's trauma. Yep, that's trauma. Yep, that's trauma. That fear of I'm not going to be safe or I might not be safe because you've seen, you know, you've been exposed in a second, you know, secondary exposure of all of these things that you see on the news, the statistics, you know, of assault or of murder or of rights getting stripped, protections being stripped, you know, all of this stuff. So more and more of those things happen and you feel less and less safe. And Mm. so you start to hide more and more and more. Yeah. You know, it was great. Like uh, this past weekend, I went to Chicago for a long weekend and I lived Mm. in New York like years ago for a little while and, but being in Chicago, you know, I was like super excited to like, I was like, where's the the nearest gayborhood? Because I knew it yeah. existed in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, unlike Texas, you know, maybe if I'm in Dallas, you know, definitely or Houston. But um, around me, I, I really don't have anything like, like that. Mm-hmm. And so I go to North Halstead and, you know, it's just this, it's just awesome. There's, you know, rainbow line streets and rainbow flags everywhere. And I just like, I'm walking around with my sister and my brother-in-law and they're just, they're awesome because they're just such great allies. Cause they keep telling me, like, they're telling me, they're like, Angela, this is so awesome. Like how great is this? That like, there's this sense of community and all these wonderful messages. And I'm just like, yeah, like I, this is the dream, right? Like if everything yep. could be like this. And then we go on this train, you know, we catch the train and there's this pride train that this guy was telling us, like, this is the only train in Chicago that is like dedicated to pride. And there's all these messages inside. They're, they're just beautiful. And he's, he, he's not gay. Like he was talking about his wife, he was whatever, but he was more excited, I think, than I was. He was like, isn't this the greatest? Like, shouldn't we have, shouldn't everybody have all these messages of just like humankind of just, you know, you are enough, you are perfect the way you are, you are loved, you're whatever. He's like, how are these messages not everywhere for everyone? And I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. so true. What is your experience like with you have two kids, you have your wife, are you in a in a place where you feel safe? And you feel like you said, it is more diverse. Um, Yes, it's like, so how's that dynamic with you guys? Like, what's your experience? It's a more diverse area, um, just demographically more diverse. And, you know, we see a couple pride flags in our neighborhood That's and we're nice. always like scoping out, you know, ally, you know, like yeah. friends, we family, we know these people. Um, and so you feel a sense of connection and sense of safety. And there is some safety in numbers for sure. And for the most part, we've had, you know, very good messages of acceptance from our neighborhood, from our children's school. Um, there were instances when we lived in a different area that, you know, our kids would get disinvited to the classroom birthday party because, you know, they had two moms, you know, and so that's never a situation that we're facing here yet. Um, To date, we shall see. It's always something that I'm on the lookout for because Mm -hmm. I, you know, did experience that before. And so there is that possibility of 
rejection or judgment or homophobia. But so far, we have, you know, met a good community that it's very, very welcoming. Well, that's good. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand what you said. Say when you're like looking for signs of mm-hmm. allyship or other people mm-hmm. who are in the LGBTQ plus community, because I do the same thing. Yeah. I'm curious with your practice and with writing your book, like what led to writing your book specifically? You probably felt there was a need for this particular mm-hmm. topic for our community. What was the catalyst for all that? Yeah, great question. My wife and I own a private practice, a mental health practice here um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And she primarily works with um, individuals, and I work with both individuals as well as relationships. And so I was doing a lot of relationship counseling, and a large chunk, probably 80% on any given day, of, of our client demographic is part of the queer community. And I was seeing, you know, as I'm doing this therapy with, with relationships and um, I'm coming across a lot of these similar experiences. So we're having like childhood trauma experiences, even adult interpersonal trauma experiences. um, And it's impacting current relationships. Even if the current relationships are with very supportive people and very healthy, it's just impacting current relationships. And this is kind of an umbrella, regardless of whether they're in the queer community or not. But you see these kind of cycles of uh, fighting and escalation and, um, you know, emotional minds working versus rational minds working. And and so I'm looking for resources, right? I'm looking for resources Mm -hmm. out there about books. Um, I'm looking for articles. I'm looking for anything that I can help my clientele, you know, with any of these things. And there were a lot of mainstream resources that are out there by well-known people, but they're all heteronormative. Mm. And so there's all of these different vignettes about, you know, Bill and Sue or about, (laughs) you know, Jane and Tom or, you know, things like that where they're having these conversations and they're just very heteronormative, cisnormative. And they didn't dig into kind of the queer experience of all of that, of the, the other layers that are on top of, you know, if you have Sue and Jane, you know, Jane is responding to all of her internalized homophobia because Sue tries to reach for her when they're out at night and, you know, Jane rejects her and then Sue has a reaction, you know, things that, you know, other individuals don't have to necessarily think about even. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there weren't any resources that were out there that were really digging into past trauma, current relationships, queer population, hit all of those, those check boxes. And so, you know, my wife was like, you should just write a book. You should just do it. You know, you, you're a professor, you know, you're a therapist, you write relatively well, like, let's go, you know, except for the commas, which you talk about in your book, which I thought was great. So many commas. I (laughs) I do the same thing. Oh my my partner is like, why are you using a comma here? (laughs) Because I'm breathing. Because I I write how I talk and then I tend to just get this one run on sentence with a million commas. So, um. So she was my comma police, you know, and she would go through yeah. and be like, nope, 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 nope. And yeah, so so it just kind of took shape that way. And a lot of like the writing experiences I would do as I was driving to, um, you know, my nine to five, which is as a university professor, I work about an hour away from where I live. And so I would just, you know, that's where I create a lot of my lectures during that time. And that's where I get a lot of my thoughts. It's either, you know, 
behind the steering wheel or in the shower. So <laughs> it's really, it's when you do your best thinking, right? Yeah, so I exactly. My, my talk to text, you know, and I uh-huh. would just talk into it and talk about different, the different things that came to mind. And I did a lot of my writing that way, actually, of a lot of talk to text um, or dictation you know, options. But as it was starting to take shape, my wife would say, okay, you got to get this book done, you know, because I have clients that really need it. <laughs> Okay. And you, you can only see so many people. And so I'm like, okay, you're right. So I started to to put it together and it really took shape. And, it, you know, it's interest really grew from it because there aren't a lot of options out there. So I'm really hoping, you know, my, my main goal, my end game is really just to provide a resource, you know, provide a resource that's not already there for people that need it, that pe- for people that don't feel seen or heard, for people that really don't feel like they're represented, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that things don't apply to them as much and they have to carve out pieces from mainstream stuff. And, and now this one is, is just written just for our population. And you can, you know, there are lots of things that you can, um, universalize because some the way trauma responds in the body is a universal thing. It's, it's not queer specific, but a lot of the vignettes and a lot of the lens that it's written through are are very queer centric so that it, it does speak um, to our population and puts our population kind of at the forefront. Would you say that it's also probably important for like parents specifically, like mm-hmm. if they, you know, want to understand how their words or yes. whatever, you know, their actions or the things that they're not saying, you know, the nonverbal cues, how that is impacting their child and how it could, and then that, you know, continues to impact their their child's relationships or their children's relationships with other people, would you say it's just as important for a parent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the the book is is written, you know, for the exploration of, you know, um, intimate partners. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what we're talking about is like these blueprints of trauma. Like, where does that come from? And that comes a lot of times from childhood or early adulthood, where our parents have the biggest impact on us. And so they can be a source of trauma or they can be a source of support as we set kind of our blueprints for how we think about ourselves, how we think about the world, how we think about love and relationships. And so absolutely, this is a great resource to, to try to understand how our words matter and how our alignment and our allyship matters. And so, yeah, absolutely. I recommend that highly for, for anyone, for family members, for friends, for anyone that, that is yeah. looking for that. Yeah. I mean, people joke about, I mean, I was a, a psychology major. So mm-hmm. people would always say, you know, like, you're in therapy because of your parents or your family or whatever. <laughs> and they joke about that. But to a certain degree, like when you're I know when I'm around kids, my partner's godson or something. I'm very hyper aware of what I'm saying, because I want to make sure mm-hmm. that they don't misunderstand something or, mm-hmm. you know, you, like your words really do have such meaningful oh, yeah. impact. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and not to say the parents are like, you know, the cause of everyone. Right. Anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> but, not saying that. Not saying that. No, not saying that at all. But, you know, they have the ability to shape it. You know, they right. have the ability to. We're supposed to seek out parents for and caregivers. You know, when I say parents, I mean the universe. True. We're supposed to be able to seek out caregivers to help us understand the world, help us understand definitions of love, of safety, of you know all of the different things that are happening. And so those parents or caregivers can be the source of that support and say, "It's okay, we can do this together. I'm, I've got your back always." Or they can be the source of alienation 
or a source of internalized homophobia or a source of trauma um, based on those words that they're picking, based on the way that they help us navigate and see the world. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you were saying about holding hands in a movie theater, like I said, mm-hmm. I have the same experience. Is there anything that we can do to like repair the messages that, you know, that there's shame for that? I mean, is there anything that we can do? Well, yeah. there's moments, you know, like as we go forward, because I have a friend who's just like, well, you know, straight people hold hands. So why can't we hold hands? They easily say my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Why don't we easily say my boyfriend mm-hmm. or my girlfriend? So, I mean, that's easy to say and think, but sure. I mean, like literally if we're even in our backyard, because our backyard kind of like neighbors can kind of see in and vice versa just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the other day, you know, my my partner, like she like puts her hand on my back and I kind of move because I know we're in our own backyard, but I know mm-hmm. that people can see in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think like, how sad is that, that I'm in my own backyard mm-hmm. and I'm still like, I, my, that's my response. Right. You know, you talk about your, the, your, your clients, the people you're yeah. having these conversations with, like, what, what do you tell them about how to, how to deal with those situations or how to repair the messages, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's a, it's a difficult question to answer because if it's past stuff, we can work on that. You know, we can work on all of the things that happened in your past related to, you know, internalized homophobia or messages of you're not safe or things like that. Mm-hmm. If it happened in your past, we can work on that. The issue is some of those things continue to happen in our present. Mm-hmm. And so feelings of being not safe you know, because I may have gotten, you know, screamed at or, you know, verbally assaulted or, you know, because I was holding my partner's hand, let's say, for example, that's just going to make me afraid to hold my partner's hand in the future, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a safe environment now, if I'm very 100% safe, I can try to, do, you know, work on that therapeutically and you know, rewire my brain for safety. Mm-hmm. However, if I continue to get messages from media and news about people being hurt because they're out being hurt, assaulted because they showed affection to their partners, that's hard. It's, you know, it's really difficult yeah. because your brain's constantly scanning the, uh, the environment looking for, for messages of, of threat, you know, and if there are messages of threat out there in, you know, in the world, it would not, you know, our, our bodies can't relax enough to be like, okay, I'm safe because they don't believe that they're safe because of those yeah. threatening messages. Um, so it's kind of multifaceted. We can help therapeutically kind of reset our body if it's something from the past, but if it's, it's really hard to do when it's up in our face all the time. Right. One thing I'm, I was thinking recently no, going from the backyard to the front yard now, <laughs> because we were in the front yard working on the flower bed not too long ago. And speaking of nonverbal messages, you know, we're working out in the yard and I just kept thinking, you know, there are a lot of kids in the neighborhood and I kept thinking, we are an example of a lesbian relationship to all the people around us. And it just never occurred to me that, you know, really anybody would be looking to us for any, it just never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I may never know the impact of what it is to see two women, you know, working outside on their yard in their house or whatever. But to mm-hmm. some, like for me growing up, if I saw that, like, it would just be so meaningful to know that it's possible, number one, mm-hmm. and what healthy 
relationship looks like two people working together just the same way you know this man and woman on the other corner or whatever um i just think like the word impact is really meaningful because i think that those nonverbal cues are just as important as mm -hmm. the verbal cues that can either create trauma or dismantle it right Right. Absolutely. And, and it's tough because you have to kind of weigh those, those pros and cons of, do I feel safe enough to do this? But also like, what's my social responsibility to provide impact for potential, yeah. you know, queer folk in the future, you know, right. like the little neighbor kid that's trying to you know figure out if it's okay or not. And, you know, um, so there is that kind of like balancing act of, of like ideologically, it should absolutely be okay for us to hold hands. It should absolutely be okay for us to say boyfriend or girlfriend, just like our heterosexual cisgender counterparts. However, it's not, it's not you know, like realistically, it's not ideologically. It should be realistically. Sometimes it's not. So then you have to balance it out of like, but what about, you know, the next generation or what about like our kids? How, how my actions or inactions affecting my kids internalization of relationships. And so my wife and I ask ourselves that all the time of like, we you know, sometimes we have to have these big conversations with our kiddos of like, we're going to go up North and you know, you might notice that we might act a little bit differently towards each other. And mm -hmm. that's not because we're ashamed of one another. That's not because of this is because the demographic and this environment up here is not always super safe for people like us. And so um, we, and we want to make sure that we're safe and we want to make sure that, you know, that we have a good time, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have to unpack that sometimes with them and they're 13 and nine. So they are you know able to have some of those conversations, but then at the same time, like at home, you know, my wife and I'll come and hug and kiss each other. And they're like, Oh, oh gross. You know, like it just like, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, it just seems very, you know, typical. Right. And it has nothing to do with, the fact that we're two women and has everything to do with the fact that we're their parents and we're kissing in front of them. You know? right. <laughs> They're just like appalled by that. But we're also showing them what positive connection and love can look like and depending on, you know, on how you express love. But um, we're showing them, you know, what a positive relationship is. We're showing them how to apologize when we hurt each other's feelings. We're showing them how to have conversations um, that are tough about hard things like feelings. And, and, and I feel like we're doing, we're doing a relatively good job. Of course, as a parent, you always kind of feel like you're screwing everything up, but <laughs> we, we, we try, are trying to be, you know, as open with them as possible and, and as normalizing of things like that as possible. Mm, that's really good. I'm thinking about too, like when we were talking about well, when I asked you about repairing mm -hmm. things, I mean, a lot of it is doing doing the work. Mm -hmm. You know, your book is a great example of just, you know, taking the time to read this book to learn about mm -hmm. your personal trauma, whether it's, you know, to whatever degree of trauma that is. For me specifically, just dismantling the internalized topophobia. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of putting in the work so that I can change my mindset. Yep. And I'm, I'm constantly doing this. I mean, that's really what this podcast has been for me is it's been me just learning about myself mm -hmm. and taking small steps to try to live a more open life. I, I never thought I was not living an open life anyway, but I kind of realized that in certain ways I am like mm -hmm. not holding my partner's hand. I can't say that I'm, you know, would do that even today. I mean, I just don't, we, it's a matter of safety. Right. Mm -hmm. But and certain things like 
in the backyard of my house, you know, like, you know, I don't want to be a spectacle either. You know, I don't even want to see, like you said, you know, heterosexual neighbors. (laughs) I don't want to see it, period. So that's, that's probably just me, (laughs) just my own personal stuff. But um, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, diving deep and doing the work, introspection, whether it's Mm -hmm. reading a book like yours, or going to talk to someone who Mm -hmm. can help us with that, right? Absolutely. And and the repair part can, can mean so many different things, you know, repairing everything that's happening internally from your past, you know, so you can have a healthier future, you know, so mm-hmm. you can have a healthier connection and relationship now, better connections with family, feeling more authentic in your present self, you know, in, in your right. future self. But also like repair can, can mean, you know, if I do have a reaction or response, coming together with your person and saying like, wow, I need to own that. Mm. And then that's my stuff, you know? And like we were yeah. talking about earlier about, you know, pulling away from your partner and then how that might impact your partner. You know, are you, right. are you ashamed of me, et cetera, et cetera. Owning that and saying, that's my stuff. This has nothing to do with you. I'm working on that, you know? And, and just really kind of coming back together and repairing what what might've been, you know, ruptured or, or hurt um, because of those actions or inactions. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that, like, I have those, I guess, traumas, Mm -hmm. even though I had a very supportive coming out experience, I have a very Mm -hmm. supportive family, like, it's, I still have those things of those feelings of shame if I'm not Mm -hmm. supposed to have what everyone else has, like, I think it's just really important to notice that. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, wow, you know, somebody had this really supportive environment and still has these messages of shame and is still holding mm-hmm. on to all this stuff that they, that, you know, they, mm-hmm. that carries into their relationship and, or just like, just life in general, I guess. Right. Right. And I mean, those messages of shame came from somewhere, even if it was a very supportive coming out process with your immediate family, you know, those messages of you're not supposed to do that. Or that's not what you, you know, that you got that from somewhere, you know, right. we're, we're always taking in information. And so, and, and it probably was just the greater populace, you know, and, and yeah, world. and it was of the times. I mean, yeah. I I was a kid in the of the eighties, and mm-hmm. I don't think we ever. I never heard the word gay for. I don't even remember when I first heard it. You know, <laughs> I mean, really. So I mean, it was. Yeah. So that's probably where where it came from. I would think. Um, you mentioned you're pr- promoting your book and stuff. What are you doing to promote your book? Like, what well, are you, I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing fabulous podcasts like this one. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm doing some book signings around the area. Um, oh, awesome. I'm trying to push hard on social media platforms, of course, and just connect with influencers on social media, um, which I didn't even know influencing was a thing. And it's apparently is a thing. Yeah. It shows how behind the times. <laughs> no, I'm, trust me, same. <laughs> so can, where can people go to like, find out where you're doing book signings if they're in your area? Yeah, if they're in my area, they can always go and follow me on Instagram. It's your.queer.therapist on Instagram. My website also is drjentowns.com. Yeah, and if, you know, if they wanted to learn more about the book, um, my website or my Instagram profile are the best options. It's also available to order on Amazon, should you feel so inclined. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put a link to the book Thank you. on the show description, on the episode description. Um, but I want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you have a busy schedule. I know you <laughs> just coming back from your you know, weekend and mm-hmm. me too. And it's a lot. So, and I know mm-hmm. I can't even imagine writing a book 
And then <laughs> just doing the podcast is a lot sometimes, so I get it. That's but great. I want to thank you for being here and kind of diving in a little bit. I think anybody listening to this, I mean, I know myself included, like as I've been talking to you, uh, I, I need to dive into this book ASAP. So <laughs> you'll probably get a, a DM from me asking you all kinds of questions. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring awesome. It on. Awesome. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share it with someone who will get value from it as well. And please head to Apple Podcasts to rate and review this podcast so that our LGBTQ community and friends can find it. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>